Well, I invite you and those who might be listening outside of this service to join me in the Gospel according to John, chapter number 3. The Gospel according to John, chapter number 3. For those who might be listening outside of this service, you're listening to the Burnfield Baptist Church. This is the Sunday morning service. The pastor is bringing the message, and it's simply entitled, Foundation Inspection. Foundation Inspection. Now, I have a silly joke I'll tell you here in a minute. I didn't make it up, but I'll read it, and you can laugh at it later if you want. If you don't, that's okay, too. But uh, I remember when we bought our house. How many of you are homeowners? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but uh, yeah, it's okay. Um, when, we, when we were in the process of buying our house, uh, we had a gentleman come out, and this is what he did for a living. He had his truck equipped with gear. He came and did an inspection on our home. How many of you are familiar with home inspections? Maybe you've had some done yourself or you had the privilege of doing them as a homeowner yourself, but uh, seeing things that, well, that doesn't quite look right. Maybe I should inspect that a little further. Well, in our journey looking for homes, I remember some of them that we went to, they were truly uh, fixer-uppers, if you know what I mean. Uh, there was one we, went, we were taken to, and, and we were trying to go into every home with an open mind, right? Okay, we're going to see, I'm going to get past all the cosmetic stuff and now, I was still young, younger back then, and I still felt like maybe I could fix more of this. And today, if I was doing the same thing, I'd look at that home and say, don't have time, sorry. I need something a little different. So it's, it's amazing how we grow over time, right? Well, we had, uh, we had one home. We pulled up to it, and I looked at the house, and I kind of went like this. To straighten my vision of the porch. And then we went inside and toured the home, and... I mean, it could have been cleaned up, sure. But what really concerned me is that I, we went downstairs into the basement and they had carpet down there and there was a huge chasm in the side of the brick wall. Uh, so it wasn't just the porch on the house. It was the whole front, uh, front side of the house and the basement and everything because probably that night or something like that, you know, we have that here. It's probably, well, that, that, that was a problem with the foundation. And, and I knew that, just, you know, as simple as I might have been towards all this stuff back then. I knew enough to know that's a big problem, and I can't fix that one, okay? I'm not going to get my, you know, my car jack out there and try to, that would be disastrous, to say the least. Yes, don't let me come work on your home, right? Uh, you understand where I'm going. We, we need to have inspections done from time to time. Because if the structure's going to be sound, it must be built on a firm foundation. Now think with me about the Beatitudes of Christ, the Sermon on the Mount. Think about uh, particularly Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and then maybe even the Sermon on the Plain, where Jesus uh, basically, I believe, preached the same sermon in a different area. And at the end of each of those sermons, he gave this conclusion. He says, if you want to be wise, I'm going to paraphrase it for sake of time here. If you want to be wise, you need to build on his sayings, build on his word. If you're unwise, then you'll, you'll not do that, and you'll have a foundation that's built on sand. You, you know the story I'm talking about. You know the, the reference there. Okay, think about that when we approach John chapter 3. I had you turn over there. We're going to read through the passage. Now, I need you to sit on the edge of your seat, and I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I want you to read John chapter 3 as best as you can like you've never read it before. So clear your mind. Take a moment and approach the scriptures and say, I want to see what John is saying here, but I'm going to read it like I've never read it before. That means I'm going to be hungry 
to take in every word of the blessed scripture. And we're going to come to John chapter 3, and I'm going to read at least through this discourse of the Savior. John chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 1, we'll go down to verse 21 together. There was a man of the Pharisees named, what was his name? Who was he? He was a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus, not by day, he came by night, and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles. Pause. If you just read chapter 2, you just read where Jesus turned the water into uh, unfermented grape juice there at Canaan. Nicodemus says, no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, a double amen. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, singular, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, another double amen. I say unto thee, Nicodemus, singular. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Notice the capitalizations in those verses. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Pearl, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell Whence it cometh, whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the capital S, Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel? And knowest not these things? Verily, verily, another double amen. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Nicodemus, singular, We speak that we do know. And testify that we have seen. And ye, plural, receive not our witness. If I told you of earthly things, if ye believe, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth not, uh, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to consider our own faith's foundation this morning. 
Just as Nicodemus was challenged to consider his faith's foundation, he had encountered Jesus, and something moved inside of him to seek Jesus out in the darkness of night, to ask him that which that question which plagued his soul, the question of eternity. He might not have even known exactly what he was seeking when he came to Jesus, but Jesus knew. And Lord, I pray that for that one that might be here today in the same situation, for those that we love as Christians, we pray for and we try to witness to that might be where Nicodemus is. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to lead them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ before it's eternally too late. In his precious name I pray, amen. I told you I'd tell you a joke. I'm not good at jokes, but here's one for you to think about. A young Arab was proceeding down the road on a donkey when he came upon a small bird, a sparrow, lying on, upon his back on the road. And there he was, a small scrawny object with uh, two thin legs pointed skyward. At first the Arab thought the sparrow was dead. When he found that the bird was alive, however, the Arab got uh, down from his donkey and he went forward to speak to him. Are you all right? He asked. Yes. The sparrow answered. Then what are you doing lying on your back with your legs pointed up to the sky? Haven't you heard the rumor? The sparrow asked in return. They say heaven is going to fall. If it does, said the Arab, Surely you don't think you're going to hold it up with those two scrawny legs. The bird looked at him with a solemn face for a moment and then retorted, One does all he can. Okay, that's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> now let's, let's think about the spiritual application that might be behind that. How many, how many folks are just waiting you know, for something and and they're not quite prepared. Just like this scrawny little bird here, the sparrow. Is he prepared for heaven to fall? No. And any, anybody can see that. The Arab says, you're not ready for this. How, how do you think you can... But how many people, like Nicodemus perhaps, think that they can go into eternity and yet they are completely unprepared for it and they're kind of in that attitude, well, I'm just doing what I can I'm just doing what I can. One does what he can. I tell you, that's a sad place to be. Jesus confronts Nicodemus in his condition. Now, uh, through the Gospel of John, we need to go back to the earlier chapters and see some of what John introduces us to. He introduces us to so many concepts, even in that first chapter where he talks about, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was from the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and, and nothing was made without Him. And then he goes on through that first chapter to say, John was not that light. There's a light to come into the world. He, John the Baptist was not that light. But the light that John, the gospel writer, refers to is the light of Jesus Christ. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John introduces us to this concept of light and darkness very early on in his book. Remember John 1.11 says... He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So John is a magnificent writer in many ways. He takes simple concepts that really aren't so simple by the time you start thinking through them. For instance, in his letter, the first letter that he wrote in 1 John chapter 1, verse number 5, you can probably quote that verse too, 
He says, this then is the message that we've received. What is that message, John? Please tell me what it is. I need to know this. This is going to change my life. What's the message? God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. What is light? Well, according to that verse, God is light. And we were having a discussion about this, and I heard somebody else reference, I think, just a couple of days ago, that science still can't figure out what light is. We don't have that figured out. Well, this is what God is. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Why am I telling you this? Because John tells us that Jesus Christ came. He's the light. That light is every man that comes into the world. And John 1, 9 tells us a little bit about that light. Now, it strikes me because here's a man of the Pharisees. What's his name again? You read it with me. This man comes to Jesus, and his name is so if he's a leader of the Pharisees, of what ethnicity is this man? He's Jewish. And what is his name? Have you ever heard in the Old Testament the name Nicodemus? You've heard Hezekiah. You've heard, uh, you've heard the Bible names. You won't find a Nicodemus in the Jewish culture going back that because this is a Greek name. Nico is the god of victory, right? So Nicodemus, he's a Jewish man, he's a religious leader, a good man, no doubt. And he comes to Jesus, but when did he come? Did he come in the day? No. He came in the night. Now, let's think about darkness, okay, and light. Throughout his gospel, John is weaving a theme about darkness Leading us really to the conclusion of our own depravity, I think. And so here in his darkness, he waits, maybe because he's embarrassed to come to Jesus. I don't know. I don't want to guess. I'm not Nicodemus. Maybe one day, if he did trust Christ, and I believe he did, eventually, we'll be able to ask him, why don't you go by night? I don't think you'll want to ask him that. <laughs> but if you did, you probably could if he's in heaven. Why by night? Well, he doesn't want anybody to see. Why don't you want anyone to see? Because he wants to be hidden. Okay, you get this, right? Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And here, it's interesting because what did Nicodemus ask him? He calls him rabbi. And then later on, Jesus is conversing with Nicodemus like, hey, you know, we're teaching these things, but you all aren't receiving our message. So here, Nicodemus is approaching Jesus as kind of an equal in, in people's eyes in that way. The people are looking at Jesus as a rabbi, as a master, no man can do these things except God be with him. Nicodemus is a man who is a leader of Israel. Art thou not a teacher of Israel and knowest not these things? So this is a, this is a conversation between uh, people of the same rank, maybe. I don't know if that's a good way to look at it. Because you, how do you rank Nicodemus with Jesus? You don't, because Jesus is a Pharisee. But in the people's minds, I think you understand where I'm going with it. Nicodemus comes and he says, We know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles except thou doest, uh, that thou doest except God be with him. Question. Where's the question in that verse? <laughs> I don't have a question mark in my Bible. I have a period after that. 
So he didn't really ask Jesus a question. He came to him in the darkness of night and made a statement. We know you're from God. Nobody can do what you're doing except God be with him. Nicodemus has recognized something. Now, let's set the stage. Let's set the tone. If you put chapter and verse divisions in your Bible uh, on your own, you might consider backing up and putting the chapter and verse break at chapter 2 and verse 23. Just, just a consideration. So I'm going to read without the words chapter 3 in here, and I'm going to say that chapter 3 is beginning at, uh, at chapter 2 and verse 23. Are you with me? So let's read. We won't read all of it again, but I just want to read through for the smoothness of how it flowed. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of men, for he knew what was in man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. You see the word man? Did you hear the word man in there? Connecting the thought here, I think. Needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. There was a man named Nicodemus. So according to the context, John is, is kind of helping us see why was Nicodemus really coming? Jesus had not committed himself unto them because he knew what was in them. And this is all leading up to chapter 6, by the way, where he feeds the multitudes, and then they all go away when he gives that difficult message. He turns to the twelve and he says, Will ye go away also? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. So Jesus is leading up to a separation eventually because revelation brings separation. Revelation brings separation. Separation between light and darkness. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. He makes a statement. He does not ask a question. He makes a statement and says, We know you're from God. We. Who is the we? Interesting. Rabbi, master, teacher, we know thou art a teacher come from God. We know that. Is he reporting on behalf of the Pharisees that they're figuring out that he's from God? I don't think so. So Jesus answered, and he says unto him this statement. Read it out loud with me if you would. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see what Jesus is doing? He's confronting Nicodemus in his own darkness, and he's getting him to think about what's next. Like that little sparrow. What's next? Heaven's going to fall. You've heard the rumor, right? Um, that's a silly joke. But in all seriousness now, there will be a day where we each will die because Hebrews 9.27 says, As it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. We will die, and we will face eternity. And the question is, are we prepared? Do we have the eternal life that Jesus Christ is talking about when he says, except a man be born again? Now, Nicodemus is, is caught up on some things. If we're going to look at the foundation of Nicodemus' faith, what is the foundation of Nicodemus' faith? He believes Jesus is from God. Oh, wait a minute. I read in John in uh, James chapter 2 and verse number 19, where there's a conversation going back between James and this imaginary person he's talking to. And he says, uh, you believe that there's one God, thou doest well. 
And then he says in that verse, the devils believe and also and, and tremble. The devils also believe and tremble. Remember that verse? They actually do something about their faith. So Nicodemus has some belief. He says, we know that our teacher come from God. But did he make the crossing? Did he appropriate his faith in Jesus Christ being the one that God sent as his only begotten son to die for the sins of the world? I don't see Nicodemus having made that step here. Notice he has an encounter with a new birth in verses 1 through 3. Jesus knows his need and he poses this statement right back to him. Nicodemus gives him a statement. Jesus returns the statement and says, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus comes, and I believe he has a question, right? Verse number 4. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus is stuck on the earthly things. But many times, doesn't Jesus use something earthly to help us understand what we do not know? So he's going to help Jesus, uh, Nicodemus move from the known to the unknown if Nicodemus will have ears to hear. So he says, can we do this? No, it's not physically. Okay, is that, is that physically possible? That's not physically possible. It's not. Okay, you're, you're in agreement with me on that, right? Please say yes. Please say yes. That is not physically possible, and Nicodemus knows it. Jesus surely knows it. This is... Uh, how can this? Can, you're saying you have to be born again, born a second time. Now, now the word "born again," you need to study that out and, and do some digging on that word. But "born again," don't let the terminology trip you up as you think about the spiritual truth. He says, "Verily, verily." So, if Nicodemus just asked a question, I think Jesus is going to give him some more insight, don't you? "Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born," what does he clarify? Of water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So if we take verse 5 and verse 6 and apply them to what Jesus said in verse 3, speaking with the context, to be born again then, and you're free to disagree with me, but, but just look at the context. To be born again then is to be born of water and of the Spirit. Otherwise, you can't see the kingdom of God. Otherwise, you cannot see the kingdom of God. There are parallels I see happening here all over the place. Okay, born of water and of the Spirit. Lest Nicodemus have to ask another question about what is water and what is Spirit, because I'm sure you're asking the question too, and some of you are waiting to hear what I'm going to say because you want to know what I think the water and the Spirit are. Well, I don't want to leave you hanging. I'll tell you what I think they are. And I'm going to stick with context here. Because verse number 6 says, That which is born of the flesh... Is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit, is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So if we're going to be born again, we've got to be born of water. We've got to be born of flesh. You see the parallel there that I'm making with those verses just right here before us? If we're going to be born again, we must not only be born of water and flesh, we must also be born of the Spirit so there is a physical birth, naturally, but what Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to see is there must be a spiritual birthing that occurs. Now let's delve into a little bit of theology. 
whether you take man to be trichotomous or dichotomous, you can, we can talk about that after church. Um, regardless of where you stand on that, man has a body, or mankind, human beings, they have a body, a soul, and a spirit. Right? We can all agree on that. Whether we look at two or three, we, we can talk about that later. But we can say, man has a body, a soul, and a spirit. Accurate statement? How do we know that? Have you seen your spirit? Have you seen your soul? Some people say they have. I've never seen a soul. It's immaterial. It's an immaterial part of us. The soul and the spirit. Well, the spirit is that aspect of our nature that was created to have fellowship with God. And if you read Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1, it says, And you hath he quickened, which were dead in trespasses and sins. Somehow, someway, somewhere along the line, you have a part of you that is dead in trespasses and sins. You which were dead in trespasses and sins, hath he quickened. So if you're saved, that dead part of you has been made alive and given birth, been given life. That happens through the breath of God, through the Spirit of God. Remember when God created man in the, in the beginning? He created him out of the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. Nefesh. He became a living soul. So we have a soul which animates our physical body. This is just the transportation we use to get around down here. Right? Without our soul, we are not us. We are not our person. We're not who we are if we don't have a soul. Your soul is going to spend eternity somewhere forever. It will. Regardless of what others teach and what others might say. The Bible is clear. You have an eternal soul. And God created you with that eternal soul. Now, whether that soul has been made alive in the spirit or not, the spirit is the aspect that was made, created to have communion and fellowship with God. And so what Jesus, in essence, is telling the demons I see here is that you have to be born physically, but then you also have to take that step and be born spiritually. Otherwise, you remain dead. You cannot see the kingdom of God. Born of water and of the spirit. Born of water. Now, by way of interpretation, I take that to mean the physical birth. The arguments against that are, well, where else does the Bible talk about water being a physical birth? It doesn't. You can go to outside documents and you can see that terminology is used that way. But if you look at the context, he says that which is born of the flesh. So we're talking about the flesh birth. We're talking about the physical birth. Now, to go along with that, to be born of water, there are plenty of scriptures that talk about the washing of water by the word. Uh, which is able to save your souls. James 1 uh, says, the, the grafted word, which is able to save your souls. So there's an aspect in which the word of God can lead us to that washing, to that cleansing, to where we can, we can see by the revelation of God, we can peer into the light, and we can say, I am full of darkness. We can humble ourselves before God and say, you are holy, and you are all righteous, and I am. And the exact opposite. Oh, worm that I am. And when we can become that way. Remember Jesus in the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? And give me a moment to think through that phrase. To be poor in spirit. Do we use that terminology regularly? 
today? When's the last time you said to someone, I feel poor in spirit today? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? The connotation behind that, if you study it out, the sense of the word is that you come to the place where you realize, like Nicodemus needs to realize, you are absolutely bankrupt before God. Now think that through. Everyone, you know, one does what he can. That kind of attitude is going to leave you bankrupt before God in the end because you're not going to be able to cash out when it comes time for eternity. You're not going to have enough good in the bank to measure up, to meet the requirements of a righteous and holy God. So we must become poor in spirit. If Nicodemus will just humble himself, he can find life. So we see Jesus here is working with Nicodemus. Nicodemus encounters the new birth. He makes the mistake of seeking miracles. He comes to Jesus because of the miracles he's seen. And he says, we know you're from God. And then he's, he's mishandling spiritual matters. He can't get off of this earth. He can't get past the physical. And Jesus is trying to help him see there's a spiritual birth that must occur. When you can't get past the physical. And, and you remain blind to the spiritual. You can't see that light coming in. You have no mind for spiritual things. And so it's no surprise that Nicodemus is the way he is here. And so Nicodemus came face to face with an encounter of the new birth. Now notice, he begins to inquire. He asks these questions. How can a man be born when he is old? Verse 4. Can he enter the second time? Verse 5. Jesus uh, answered, Verily, verily, I say to thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. First birth. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Second birth. Now I want to give Nicodemus a little credit here. Out of the 99, you know, plus others that saw the miracles too, who was it that actually came? Oh, but Pastor, you just said he came by night. Yeah, but he came. That's more than so many others do. Don't get weary in well-doing. Be not weary in well-doing, for ye shall reap if you faint not. How many doors do you have to knock on before you find somebody who will be kind enough in this area to actually invite you in out of the blistering heat on a hot day? A lot. I don't know the number. Now, granted, please let me clarify, don't just let anybody into your home. But when somebody shows up in a suit and tie and they're from a Baptist church, have we gotten so far that we can't even recognize a pastor in our community? I'm just telling you, it's, I mean, I, I, I don't blame them, okay? I have people, I'm preaching to the choir, right? I got three fingers pointed back at me. Somebody comes and stands on my doorstep in a suit and tie, or I don't usually try to do that, or I'll, I'll wear business casual or something, but I don't usually let them in either. Until I know who they are. But if, if I recognize them, you know, if, if let's say that they come and they knock on my door and I live in Brighton and they're holding the track that I see is from Elmwood Baptist Church and I treat them like I, you know, like we treat some of the other people that come to, I don't have time for that today. Oh, so slam the door. Oh, they're coming. Quick, close the blinds and run. Don't move. There are legitimate times, okay? I had somebody knock on my door. I was cooking something, and the flame was on the stove. And I would have gone and talked to them. I really would have. 
But in the split second they were there, I could, I'm not going to leave a burning. You know, yeah, I understand that. But I'm telling you, there's, if they come and I see, I can recognize where they're from, and, and, and I know that they're reputable. I don't, I don't know, I'm not afraid of them. What happened to hospitality? And so don't get weary. Be not weary while doing. You just go through the 99. Eventually, you might be privileged to find a Nicodemus who will make some time out of his schedule or her schedule and say, you know, let's sit down and talk a lot about this. At that moment, friend, you need to be prepared. You need to be prayed up. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because the door might open to have a spiritual conversation that can impact their eternal soul. Are you ready to have that talk? Are you prepared to lead them to talk about these things, about being born again? Some people today, they don't even know what the term is. They hear born again, and it's totally foreign. There was a day, a generation ago, where you could say born again, and most everybody knew what you were referencing, and they said, oh, you're a Baptist. <laughs> you're talking about being born again. You're a Baptist. No, just kidding. It's not a Baptist word. It's a Bible word, because Jesus says born again. But I think you're with me on this, aren't you? So Nicodemus comes, and he cannot handle the spiritual matters because he's stuck here in the material. He can't get past this. This new birth is miraculous. And so here's Nicodemus coming to seek the Jesus because of the miraculous, but the new birth is what is the real miracle that needs to occur in Nicodemus' life. Verses 5 and 6. To be born again, you must be born of water and of the Spirit. What a miracle. Water, a metaphor in the scripture for the Bible. Ephesians 5, 26. 1 John 5, 7. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. Three bear witness in, in earth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. So when you take 1 John uh, 5, 7, and 8, what is the Word Paralleled with there, the water and the word. Right in the middle of each one of those verses. John 15, 3. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So we put it all together. 1 Peter 1, 23 says, We're born again, not of... We're what? We're born again. How does this happen, Peter? Not of corruptible seed, physical. We're not. It's not the birth we're talking about. But of incorruptible... Peter explained that by the word of God. How do you get born again? Through the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And somewhere the word of God pierces the darkness of the soul. And God can breathe life where there was death. Hallelujah. What a saint. Resurrection power. Resurrection miracle. Right here when you hold it in your hand. The revelation of God that pierces the darkness. Nicodemus needs to have the blindness removed from his spiritual eyes. So that he can be spiritually born again. Because there's a mystery that surrounds this new birth. It's mysterious. Verse 7 and 8. He uses an illustration. And Jesus is the master teacher. I love how he does this. He uses the things that are around. Now, I don't know if it was dark enough where Nicodemus couldn't see his hand in front of his face, but I, I would imagine that if something was blown by the wind, Nicodemus would still be able to see it even though it was night. And Jesus points to the wind. He says, 
Well, I don't know if you're pointing to the wind or not. I'm using my imagination. Just go along with me. He says, the wind, it blows. We don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where it's going. And we can kind of feel it. We're not, but we can see the power of it moving. Now get that. The new birth. To be born again. To have old things passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Friend, I'll tell you, if you look at somebody who's genuinely just gotten saved, you ought to see a movement there. If they have the Spirit of God, and they have, if they have the power of God moving to help them see their lost condition, and they get born again, friend, you ought to be able to see the leaves rustling. You know what I mean? You ought to be able to see the hand of God. Jesus says, these things, there's a mystery behind it. We can't discern the wind. We can't see that. But there's an immaterial part of us we can't see either. And by the power and moving of God, with the Word of God and the Spirit of God, they can have life from God. And the power of God makes that occur. And they can be born again. It's mysterious. But sadly, and I think many that we encounter, and we have the privilege to share the truth of the Gospel with, many lead the same way Nicodemus did, still undecided. Still undecided about the new birth. He had an encounter with the birth, with the new birth. He even inquired about it. How can this be? But the man left completely undecided, I think, at this juncture. Now, don't get discouraged. Because you read later in the gospel where Jesus was crucified, and it's horrific. But think about what our Savior went through for us. Innocently being put to death on the cross of Calvary to die for our sins. But there at his crucifixion, because the Passover was nigh, there was a man named Joseph of Arimathea. There was another man named Nicodemus. Joseph had a tomb. Nicodemus brought the spices. Called them secret disciples. But I think Nicodemus really put two and two together in the right way in the old math. That'll sink in in a minute. He put it together. Jesus is Messiah. This new birth that he's talking about. I, I think Nicodemus got it, I do. I can't be dogmatic about it because it doesn't spell it out plainly in the scriptures. But I think by inference, Nicodemus was moved to understand this truly was the Son of God. He already believed it came from God. But at this point, think about that. How many people have you talked to about the Lord and they go away from you and they're still undecided? I don't want to say it's okay, because it's not okay. We want them to decide, right? But be patient. Can you be patient? Be long-suffering. Be loving to them. We're not there to bulldoze anybody with the Scriptures. Notice Nicodemus came to Jesus. Jesus didn't go to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was in darkness, and Jesus was the light. And how many people can come in their darkness, and we can hold forth the words of eternal life? and help them find rest for their soul. Would you be that one? Maybe there's somebody you're praying about. You've been praying about them for a long time. As we learned about in Sunday school this morning, don't give up. For those that are in my class, don't give up. Pray. Ask. Seek. Knock. Be patient. When they leave undecided, know that God's going to be working on their heart. And look for that day and pray for that day when they can find salvation to their eternal soul.